Hi, welcome back. My name is Cody Lawrence, and I am here with Michael Foster. Michael Foster is the pastor of East River Church in Ohio. He's the author of It's Good to Be a Man, and he creates a lot of really good material on things like masculinity, leadership, productivity, and church planting. Uh, and I've been following Michael's stuff for a couple of years now, I'd say. Uh, and this book is a wonderful book um, that I highly recommend everybody reading. And so we're going to talk about this episode, a lot of the stuff that he works out in the book um, and kind of like general biblical masculinity and and some uh, some other broader themes, too. So thanks for joining me on the show, Michael. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So first, what is biblical masculinity and why is it so important? Where do we go wrong? Why is it something that you care so much about that you want to write a book about it? Yeah, so biblical masculinity is how God's special revelation defines what a man is supposed to be. So masculinity are the attributes associated with being male, right? So we used to refer to that as gender. Now we use the word sex and gender interchangeably. Sex is kind of like the biological, ontological reality. And gender are kind of the cultural artifacts or things associated with your sex. Um, but uh, obviously because of the fall, because of uh, man's rebellion, our, our nature hasn't been like obliterated, but it's been marred and twisted. And so... Uh, we can see all sorts of perversions of things that are natural. And that's true of our, our uh, natural outworking of our God-given sex. And so uh, there's things that we can just say, that's what masculinity looks like in a fallen world. Um, men are more violent than women. That's a fact. It's uh, Violence is a masculine attribute that is a corruption of the strength and ability to overcome things that God gave man pre-fall. So the reason we need a category, why well, we have to put the word biblical in front of masculinity, is we're talking about what masculinity looks like either prior to the fall or through the grace of God, restoring our fallen nature back to the original nature. Right? So grace, it restores, it doesn't obliterate our nature. Uh, in making so men, uh, men and women have equal access to God through Christ. Uh, so in that sense, the sexes are identical, but equality is not the same thing as sameness. And so uh, grace, while it gives us equal access to God, it in no way obliterates our sexual identity. And so much so we, we can say Jesus will always be a man. Uh, to be human is to be male or female. Christ is a man. And uh, he was resurrected as a man, and there is zero reason to believe that our glorified bodies uh, eliminate sex. Why would it do that? There's, and so our glorified body will, will be a male forever if we're uh, ordained by God to be a male, and we will be a female forever if that is what God has assigned to, to us at conception. And so biblical masculinity is talking about the, the redemption or restoration of masculinity back to God's design through the gospel, right? And uh, and that's what we could say about biblical sexuality, right? Biblical femininity. And it's a, it's important to have this discussion because people act like the Bible doesn't teach on sexuality. Matter of fact, Joe Thorne, who once upon a time was kind of well-known 
the new Calvinist circles. I don't know if he still is or not, but he had a popular podcast called Doctrine and Devotion. Um, he was down here doing a men's retreat and uh, at a church not far from where I'm at. And I had a lot of friends at the retreat. And it was on how to be a man. And in his very first session, in a couple of minutes, he says that uh, the Bible isn't so much concerned with how to be a man or how to be a woman, but how to be a Christian, how to be godly, right? <laughs> that's what he said. So that's, that's basically that's androgyny. Mm-hmm. Because to be a Christian is how to live out. A Christian man's going to live out his masculinity in a way that honors God. A Christian woman is going to live out her femininity in a way that honors God. Like you are always your sex. Like it's part of your biological identity. Like you don't turn it off ever. You don't turn off your hormones. You don't turn off your body. You don't turn off your uh, your God-given design. The idea that there's this, um, it, it's it's almost like saying preach the gospel and use words when necessary, right? Because <laughs> yeah. the gospel is a word, right? It's news. Uh, the idea that you can somehow divorce our sexuality or anthropology from any of our existence is just a categorical error. Hmm. And the church has acts this way, acts as if, um, and of course there's general things that apply to anyone that belongs to mankind, whether they be a woman or be a man, but there are things that are distinct. And we see this in scripture. Um, We see that Adam and Eve are made differently. Adam's made from the dirt to work the dirt. Eve is made from the man to help the man. Uh, Adam, when he uh, is receives the curse, his area of productivity is cursed. Namely, uh, he was supposed to shape the world, and now the world pushes back with thorns and thistles. Mm-hmm. The woman, her area of productivity is cursed. She is supposed to help the man uh, in bearing children and cultivating and all that uh, in, in the context of the relationship. Now, in uh, childbearing, she'll have pain. Uh, now the relationship that was supposed to be a beautiful companionship and partnership will be at times a power struggle, right? Mm. And so we see that's different. We see you go to something like First uh, Timothy 2, and it's talking about how men and women should behave in a church service. And it talks about men uh, hold, uh, holding up holy hands without wrath and dissension and women dressing in a modest way. And... And the reason is uh, men have a tendency to, because of our testosterone, to be angry, uh, to, to be more aggressive. Um, and women, uh, because of their desire to be beautiful, can make themselves into a spectacle. And so even where, where Paul is trying to correct them, you see uh, sex-specific sins being dealt with, right? Mm-hmm. Can a man be immodest? Absolutely he can. We call it effeminate. Um, it's a... It's not normal for a man to make himself into an object of beauty like a woman would. And mm-hmm. uh, can a woman be angry? Absolutely. Every, every man knows this if they're married. But, um, <laughs> of course, a woman can be angry. Uh, but, you know, most of the violent offenders in the jails of America are men, right? We're just more mm-hmm. aggressive. And then you look at some of the warnings uh, to women and to men. You see women constantly warned about gossip and slander constantly mm-hmm. in scripture not in the same way with men though is it because men can't gossip and slander no men tend to be more direct they tend to deal with uh, conflict head-on women because they're smaller or not as strong uh 
they tend to deal with it more indirectly through words. Like a guy, if, uh, if we want to solve a problem, he's going to beat the crap out of somebody, right? A woman, she actually can be even more destructive. She'll, she'll destroy the person's reputation. Now, if you think about both of those, both of those are a corruption of something good. Uh, a guy's strength is meant to, for building, not destruction. That it, you know, he can take it and use it that way. A woman's linguistic abilities, her ability to communicate, to to network people together, to cultivate relationships, like she would in in the practice of hospitality, in the raising of kids, and working hand to hand with her husband, that can be twisted into slander and gossip, to using the words to destroy relationships instead of build it. And mm -hmm. so you see all these things assumed all throughout Scripture. And some people say, well, that's not in the confessions. Well, the confessions were written before we totally lost our mind on this issue, right? Um, yeah. So you get, you're talking about the 1600s, 1700s. And even there, though, you, you do see them. You see them in like the Westminster Larger Catechism's exposition of the Sixth Commandment. You're going to see it there. You're going to see it in any part that talks about the importance of bodily realities. So anything on the resurrection. And so biblical... Um, Manhood, biblical sexuality has everything to do with understanding the gospel, Jesus the Son reconciling us to, to God the Father. It has to do with Adam and Eve falling. You know, it has everything to do with sanctification. It's the whole thing. So, but we dealt with it, at least me and my co author, Non, when we wrote the book, It's Good to Be a Man, and we did a podcast for 75 episodes. Uh, we were thinking about it in a much more practical way, like in terms of like how to how a man lives out his masculinity in a in God honoring way. And we think mm -hmm. that comes down to focusing on um, wis wisdom, strength, and workmanship would be the things that we would emphasize. That a, a man is to become wise uh, for the good of others. He's to use his strength for the good of others, and and he's to shape the world again for the good of others, all underneath the umbrella of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, I really like the practical aspect of the book because I think topics like these can often be spiritualized and just say like, well, the masculinity and femininity is just a spiritual thing. And really uh, the way we act that out is just in, in exactly the same way as each other. So really there's that, that just means there's no such thing as masculinity and femininity, but the gospel is a very practical thing and it's something that we need to work out. And I like how that's reflected in masculinity and femininity. So there's uh, there's a pushback that happens too commonly, which I just think is a defense for androgyny. That is the verse where Jesus says uh, men and women are not given to marriage in heaven. And so how would you respond to that pushback? As in, there's probably no such thing as sex in heaven. Like maybe like there's no such thing as male and female. We're, we're all we're all made equal in heaven. Yeah. So what I would tell that person is that it's clearly, so you think your sexuality, like you can't express your masculinity and femininity until you're married and having sex. Like that's when you start to become a man and a woman, right? Like little boys and little girls aren't distinct. There's not, there's nothing uh, uniquely beautiful about femininity, nothing uh, uniquely uh, praiseworthy about masculinity that all starts when you get married. So so some so if they're married if they're not given a marriage like the angels that means they, they have no sexuality like it, it's just if they they're asking to accept a premise that they haven't even demonstrated yet right the, the text is simply there's a a point where the world will be full 
of the image of God in a way that's satisfactory to the Lord. And there will be no need to uh, to have any more kids for some reason. I don't need to understand all that. Um, and uh, it would seem that there'd be no need for sex again, right? In terms of coitus. And uh, we spend a good portion of our life not having sex, right? Um, and uh, our whole identity shouldn't be tied up with, uh, you know, uh, coitus, erotic sex. Mm -hmm. And so I think what they don't understand is by saying things like that, all the things they're saying, they're saying they have a very low view of sexuality. They're limiting it uh, to the purpose of marriage and to the purpose of either a um, recreational sex or procreational sex. I'm saying, no, it's, I think you can be a man or a woman without being married or having children. Now, those are normative and beautiful express, uh, expressions of, of masculinity and fatherhood and being a husband, uh, of femininity and motherhood and being a wife, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but they're, they're not absolutely necessary. Jesus is, uh, was single while on earth. Of course, he would be married to the church. Uh, Paul eventually became single and you can be faithful to the Lord that way. So I just think those people um, are really bad at reading comprehension. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Uh, so I think the, the predominant issue in our culture with masculinity, especially with the culture pushing against masculinity and masculinity just being like a bad word nowadays is a lot of really effeminate men. But and even in the church, I think this is far too common in the church. Uh, but I think also there's an issue where men are maybe trying to be faithful, like they're trying to follow what scripture says, and they they acted out in such a way to where like I know I'm the head of my wife, but I, I'm gonna force that because maybe my wife isn't good at submission or whatever. Like she doesn't submit the way I want her to. And so I'm going to make her. And so that's, that's bad too. in, in the different direction, but something that I, I care deeply about is not focusing uh, so much on the, the minority problem, but focusing on the majority problem, which is effeminate men. So I, I do want to talk about the other one too, though, but maybe first, how, why do we have so many effeminate churches and why specifically in Christianity are we pushing men to not be masculine, to not, you know, exhibit our masculine nature and, and even behind pulpits, how come we have so many effeminate pastors? So it's actually a huge question um, that you can kind of touch on a little bit. I mean, there's books like the church impotent by Leon Pottles he, he would argue that a big part of it was that uh, the bridal mysticism of Bernard of Clairvaux uh, eroticized our relationship to Jesus as individuals, as opposed to a covenant relationship to Christ. So like, I'm not the wife of Christ, but the church is, she mm -hmm. will be anyhow. Um, and that's a covenantal a communal reality. It's not an individual. In other words, we shouldn't think of our relationship to Christ in sexual terms. Um, and women will do that. Guys, we don't want to because we don't want to be gay. Right? <laughs> and, uh, and so when that, that language, you know, he, he, he ties it there. I also think there's a misunderstanding of 
the reformed understanding of the ordu salutis of the way of salvation and uh, where there's basically justification up sanctification and so so then christianity becomes all a matter of pass uh being passive and not taking mm. action and conquering and fighting whatever men like uh are very active initiators um you can see it in the design like it's uh, a man has a penis that goes into a woman a woman receives that right a man has a seed that goes into the ova the woman receives that um we're very aggressive um women not not as much like you see all these things imprinted on creation and guys like uh when it's very passive in and sort of weakness is celebrated physical weakness or physical fragility uh men don't feel welcome in churches like that mm -hmm. i think also um romanticism uh of the 1700s uh started to depict men as lesser spiritual beings than women women you didn't really have female angels to about that time you're not going to find them in art um, interesting maybe right around that time and so the idea of a woman being an angel being a more pure being whatever that's probably because the sort of christianity that started to be presented in a lot of churches uh was more reflective of feminine nature and so then it was kind of like backwards basically they're mm -hmm. saying yeah i see more of that in women well therefore women must be more pure or perhaps the way you're describing uh holiness is uh not um robust and 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 not a full understanding of how holiness would play out in different sexes so mm -hmm. you see a lot of that you see guys like uh cod and mather complaining about men not showing up to church um in the colonies and then mm -hmm. it is gotten it's gotten worse like drastically in the last 150 years in america and then it's it's been exponential and so most churches uh, don't have as many men in it as women. They're not at a basic parity. Yeah. So you, you'll have 60% to greater uh, female um, uh, membership. And so it's just going to be, it literally is more female. So churches mm -hmm. are going to be more female. And it's fine for there to be femininity in church design and congregation and all that. But it's it's a shared space, right? It's, a, it's men and women are there. And... I made this point online. It was funny. People got really offended. But I was just like saying that guys, guys shouldn't be comfortable in a women's lingerie. Like, they're like, oh, so you're that shallow. Like, well, I'll go there and buy something for my wife. I don't have a problem, but I'm not going to hang out there. Not like a woman would. Right. Yeah. I'm going to like make a beeline, get in. It's, 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 you know, ladies are there searching for their unmensables, so to speak. And last thing they want a guy, they're like kind of staring at them as they do that or whatever. Yeah. It's just, um, you know, I don't, and I don't know, man, no normal dude wants to hang out like around uh, tampons and pads and stuff like that. And they're like, every, they don't even like saying those words, right? Yeah. Let alone we hang out there. anyway. Will we, will we do it if our wife means this? Absolutely. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, I think that's fine. Those are feminine spaces. Let them have their spaces. They should. The church is not a feminine space. Mm -hmm. It's 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 for everybody, right? It's for men, women, old, young, children, adults, so to speak. And um, and the problem is the churches, because they're dominated by women, tend to be designed, decorated by women. The music tends to cater to the women. Uh, the sermons tend to cater to the women. So more and more uh, guys go there and they feel like, ah, this is this might serve some purpose for ladies, but it's I don't belong here. 
so I think that's why you don't have very many mask women there because yeah. it's passive because it feels kind of gay. Um, and if it's not, not feeling directly homoerotic, it's feeling very feminine. And so guys are like, you know, I know I should care, uh, uh, but I'm not going to go. And the guys that get really into it, um, you know, the guys that hang around are guys that are willing to identify a little bit more with the feminine. Uh, and so, hmm. so I think that's how you get there. I don't think it has to be uh, nefarious necessarily. Yeah. It's problematic and we have to do something about it because the world needs men. The world needs godly men. We need men for elders. We need them for deacons. We need them for fathers. Um, we want uh, our daughters to marry godly, strong men. And uh, so, yeah. But effemacy, to a point you made, effemacy and machoism, really same deal. Just two, mm -hmm. two sides of the same coin, which are guys that don't know how to be a man. So one doesn't know how to be a man, so he takes on the attributes of a woman. So femininity is uh, beautiful on a woman, repulsive on a man, right? It's just the example I'll give people is a woman will sway her hips when she moves. And that's because one of the ways you know uh, from skeletons, whether it's a female or male skeleton, is uh, the, the, the way their hips are shaped, right? Mm -hmm. So women's hips are shaped differently in part to have children. And mm -hmm. then when she's on the up, uh, up cycle, um, when she's uh, moving towards ovulation, actually uh, it'll, it'll soften ligaments and she'll sway more, right? Mm. Guys don't do that because we, we literally aren't built the same way. So when you see a homosexual man or a feminine man sway his hips like a woman, it's going against nature. It's kind of like, ugh. You know, like what's, yeah. what's going on with that? It's kind of gross, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, a swaying of hips is pretty feminine and it looks like it's normal on a woman. Uh, on a guy, you're like, that's not normal. And so that's how you can understand effemacy. It's not a, a pejorative uh, towards femininity. It's actually honoring femininity and say that's that's not the proper use for that, right? And um, now machoism is... is still guys that don't know how to be a man and they don't they don't have uh, strength under control they're not gentle they're not meek um they really are controlled by how they want to be perceived by others there's a lot of fear of man there and they're really controlled by their emotions and they're those sort of guys are easy to manipulate those guys are um and they're really weak right they, they don't do things from a place of confidence but it's very performative on both sides and so it's kind of the same thing, really. And you'll see this with people that don't have dads because they didn't have like a real example that they grew up with to know, you know, part of my job as a dad is when my kids are acting up, I don't, I don't act up. You know, if they raise their voice to me, you know, I don't raise my voice to them. Yeah. It's scarier when, when you're like, oh, I don't have to do that, dad. And you're like, oh, you do have to do that, son. You will, right? When you're like, when you're calm, when you like scream, then you're not in control. The kids know that, whatever they can play yeah. a number, but it's like when you, you're trying to be all angry. So macho guys think everything's through power. Right. And, and it isn't, it isn't, you can't, you know, you, you try to force a woman to submit and you better check your food for poison. I mean, like, how's that going to work? Uh, that's not how uh, it works. Submission you know, requires mission, requires a drive, a focus. A lot of women actually do want to submit to men. Oh, they'll say, but in Genesis, it says her desire will be to rule over you. Yes, yes, just like thorns and thistles. Mm -hmm. And and thorns and thistles don't totally rule over mankind. You don't, it doesn't look post-apocalyptic everywhere you look, okay? 
you can cultivate a garden. And, and Adam was able to cultivate the soil. And just because there is a temptation or a difficulty attached to male-female relationships doesn't mean that she's like in a constant state of rebellion in all ways. Mm. And just as the Holy Spirit gives you strength to fight against the curse, so it gives her strength too. And so this idea that uh, women don't want to follow men, I don't buy it. I think they do. I think it's it's all relationships are with their bumps because of sin and because of the curse. But I think guys that are strong and driven and controlled uh, usually don't have many problems with the ladies, not like seismic problems anyhow. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think another, uh, you mentioned a lot of the theological reasons for uh, femininity in the church, which I think totally makes sense, but also a huge reason that I see um, outside of that is just the the cultural push towards or against masculinity rather. Um, and, and the, uh, the irony is I think men are behind all this, like men are behind the, the trans stuff and, you know, men are, you know, whatever. Uh, but I, and I, and I think churches have a, a deep desire, which could potentially come from a good place of wanting, you know, you want to be attractive to people. You want to bring more people in so that you give them the gospel. But then when they do that, uh, you know, when they please the culture at the, at, uh, at the cost of giving up some biblical truth, then, uh, you know, you're, you're leading people into bad theology and, and that has consequences in the future. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, so if men are, are made to rule and they are, and if pat- patriarchy is inevitable and it is, and men are stronger than women, again, they are, um, how exactly do women get control? This is something, if you listen to a lot of these guys that are kind of like hardcore red pill, black pill, mm-hmm. negative, cynical guys, um, they'll act like that women have, uh, would the women wrestle this from us? I don't think so. Uh, the analogy we use in our book is of Pharaoh, Pharaoh trying to use the midwives to destroy the men. Mm-hmm. Right. Or Satan trying to use Eve as a way to uh, trip up Adam. Or you can think of the Philistines and um, with uh, Samson and Delilah. Right. It's mm-hmm. often uh, men, enemies, patriarchs, whatever, of various sorts. Remember, the devil is the father of lies. So you can have an evil patriarchy. They will try to use women as a way to destroy other men. Mm-hmm. And. So, yeah, I do think uh, behind a lot of these movements, you find a lot of rich white liberals, is what you find a lot of times. And, but, um, but yeah, the society is trying to demonize men, aspects of it. Uh, But it's funny, like, it doesn't work very well because it's gross. And you see, like, uh, the the MCU, right? It's all about women now. And, uh, yeah. It's it's dying, and then you have something that's somewhat traditional, like the the Top Gun movie that comes out, and it just mm-hmm. like kills, yeah. Right? And it, it does really well, um, and that's because uh, like I actually saw the Avatar movie, which was it went on and on forever. It was the longest thing, um, just like the first one, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, but what was. I, I thought what was fascinating about it was just that there really wasn't any gay stuff in it. And, uh, and it was relatively traditional and 
and I think people liked it for that reason. They're just looking for normality. And uh, so I, I kind of think we live in a blip. I don't know how long we can keep this up with demonizing masculinity. And yeah. uh, because the world needs the world needs men, you know, like you want you want to have egalitarian relationship. Well, sure. Send your wife down to check out what the bump in the night is. Right. Let her she can do all the heavy lifting. No one really wants that. It's just a game that they're playing. And so, yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that's played into the church. Um, but I'll tell you all those guys, when they're bashing men, uh, all those pastors bash men, but uh, their, their biggest givers in their churches are men. And all they have to do yeah. is I just tell all those guys, stop giving to those churches. And I bet they'll change your tune pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, I, I think because our culture bashes men so hard, men feel this need because it's built into our nature for masculinity. And so that's why they, they latch on to a lot of the, um, the non-Christian masculinity teachers, if they're good or bad, uh, just because they, they need something to fill that hole because they realize, you know, you know, our culture hates men and I'm a man. And so I, you know, I need, I need that. And maybe that's one of the sources of the, the hyper masculine or the, uh, the machoism that you said. Uh, and another really interesting thing that I noticed in entertainment, since you brought that up is, uh, whenever there's like almost always in, in some kind of show or whatever, if there's some kind of trans person, or if there's a homosexual, uh, they're not a normal person. They have some horrible, awful backstory or they're, you know, like they're just, they're a, they had a horrible life. And as a result, they became trans, even in this leftist story. And so, you know, we might look at that. I think it's really interesting and entertaining to watch things like that. Like they're, they're showing their cards and they don't even realize it. They're, they're showing that this stuff doesn't exist in a normal world. You can't just have a totally normal person who wakes up one day and decides to be trans. Nope. No, you cannot. Yeah, truth is inevitable. It finds its way out, you know, and uh, it's it's been kind of funny and sad to watch them destroy Star Wars and uh, everything. And all the Marvel. I've actually, I, I think it's been awesome. It's been good for to deliver the fanboys from uh, yeah from it at, at, at one level, <laughs> but another level, it's sad to see. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like Star Wars was ever like a bastion of Christian truth or something, uh, but there was kind of a basic hero's journey there, good and evil. But nowadays, it's just. Uh, I think it's because the whole why they have to have those stories is they they want to be able to engage in sin, mm. but they want to out of victimhood no matter what. And I think that's why you know I, I haven't really noticed that trend. I take your word for it. I don't watch much TV, but um, I think uh, that's a transgenderism. Uh, sexual liberation is always it's so funny. They're talking about how they're empowered. But they're always victims at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I also see in some of the macho guys too, where some of these guys are overcorrecting, is that it's like the women are trying to smash the patriarchy. And now these guys are like, it's the matriarchy is holding us back. The matriarchy is why we're, we're not excellent or we can't take control. And it's just, mm -hmm. you guys are the other side of the other coin. I feel like this is it's actually something I don't like about Jordan Peterson. You listen to Jordan Peterson, just like, mm -hmm. you know, Jordan Peterson strikes me as kind of like this beta male sort of guy that got tough. He's like, but he never really got <laughs> over his wiring. 
because if you listen to him, it's, oh, the world's a horrible, horrific, terrible place. You know, he uses all these like really over the top hyperbolic statements. Yeah. And, but you just got to like get tough and buck up and go out there and all this stuff. I look at the world and I say, God made me to knock down mountains, to make roads, to cut down trees. God made me to rule over the animals. Like I am equipped to do this. This is what it means to be a man. It means to be a man yeah. to go out there and, and shape things for the glory of God. And this is yeah. our work. And the reason we should get out there is not just, you know, like some sort of Sisyphus sort of like, it's just rough. You got to roll it up to the top of the hill and roll it back yeah. up, to, you know, but rather no, like God made me. It's, this is part of what I do and it feels good. I mm -hmm. mean, it's ironic, even after a day of work where you kind of get cut up from thorns or whatever, working your property or like covered in sweat, covered in mud, and you sit down and have a nice cold drink, uh, there's feels satisfaction good. there. Yeah. yeah, it's like, this feels right. And, you know, I, I one day came up, uh, was downstairs watching Goonies with my kids while uh, uh, my wife was leading a women's group for our church upstairs in our house. And then I came upstairs after it was over um, and it, I was like, it was like a cloud of femininity. Like the women were laughing and smiling and there was so much long hair there and dresses. <laughs> and even if they weren't wearing dresses, they still, the way they moved and, and it was glorious to see their faces shining and, and content to be where they're at. And yeah. I thought, this is beautiful. This is this is what women are supposed to be like. They're supposed to be happy like this. They're supposed to be protected. They're supposed yeah. to be a uh, glory that fills the room. And it, it let me know that our men, while not perfect at our church or anything like that, and plenty of areas to grow, are doing a pretty good job uh, creating a world where women can be women. Mm. And that's and, and there's an interplay between the sexes. The more of, uh, it's like we play off each other. A feminine woman makes a man, you know, want to be masculine. Guys like, I'm going to go hit the weights, you know, mm -hmm. even though that you don't want to get too muscular. Chicks actually don't dig that. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I want to be more masculine. Like, I remember I, uh, I became an electrician, um, union electrician here in Cincinnati, uh, local 212. I was not a very good electrician and I just did it because I wanted to marry Emily by online. Wow. And I was like, well, I need to get a job, so I'll go to the trades. And then I did that for a while, and I was like, okay, I'm like the only one in the trades being Kierkegaard, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I went back to college uh, to get, you know, to study English and history. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I was driven to the trades just because I, I got to I, I want to marry this girl, and her dad says I got to be able to take care of her. And that seems to make sense to me. So yeah, it's wow. like a woman wanting a feminine woman will drive a man to take masculine action. A masculine man creates the space for a woman to be feminine, right? She can mm. like relax, trust, you can be. And that's the beauty of these things. This is why these things matter. I think part of the problem we're having now is kids grew up in very confused homes, right? Anxiety was at a height because dad wasn't getting it done. You know, whether he wasn't providing enough and the, and the woman was always worried mm -hmm. or he wasn't providing discipline. So the kids were always disrespectful to her. So she just always felt judged and frustrated in her efforts as a mother or um, or the or she was a particularly weak woman and dad didn't like protect the kids from her uh, or there was no dad. There was no dad at all. 
and yeah. uh, and there was just a uh, rotating cast of boyfriends or whatever. You know, we're growing up in very confused times, and these these people now in their twenties, thirties, uh, don't know what healthy masculinity or femininity looks like, and they come yeah. to line and come online and they watch some Andrew Tate or. Joe Rogan or whatever. Joe Rogan's better than most, but uh, the and then they try to emulate it like a kid mm -hmm. would, and mm -hmm. they're but they're emulating Instagram reality, right? Which is not reality at all, and that's why it comes off as ham-fisted and we're in a corrective. But at least they're trying. Where's yeah. the church at? You know, the church has an opportunity to step in and uh, and and yeah, allow these silent. older men. They really are. It's in. But but it's a great opportunity to bring glory to God and to help people. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So what do we do with the men who realize that there is a, a biblical masculinity and they're trying to be faithful and they think, you know, I'm I'm the head of my wife, but they maybe not on purpose or not maliciously, but they they do more domination than dominion. What would you say to them? Well, so I think if you're using a distinction, maybe that Chris Wiley uses with uh, domination dominions, mm. Chris, Chris would say that um, basically dominion goes with the grain. So you would say Tom Bombadil from the Lord of the Rings. You're a CRC guy. So CRC people geek out over the Lord of the Rings all the time. Uh, and domination would be more like Saruman's, uh, destruction of the forest and all that stuff against its purpose right yeah. and so uh so yeah i think uh those guys understand there's a great movie and i'll get in all sorts of trouble for this but there's a great movie called buck okay. and it's a documentary and it's about a guy that trains horses it's so the movie horse whisperer was in part based on him hmm. but um the horse doesn't Oh, he, he talks about how a horse will reveal a lot about its owner. And he, and he and this guy, within a few minutes, he gets the horse following him around, right, like a dog. And look, and and these are horses that have been really wild or whatever and uh, disobedient, often because of the nervousness, the anger, the treatment they receive from their owner. Mm -hmm. You see kind of similar things. Have you ever watched um, Caesar Milan, where he, like, trains his dogs? I forget the name of that show. <laughs> I've only seen clips of it, but, yeah. um, you know, leadership requires leaders and they have to possess certain attributes. And uh, every guy I've ever known has had a bad manager at some point and had a, dif a difficulty in responding to his leadership, especially when he's not leading or he's hypocritical. And they'll yeah. complain about that. But they think for some reason that their wife should just uh, – find it easy to submit and follow a man who's not really going anywhere or changes his mind every week mm -hmm. or doesn't possess the characteristics that scripture uh, says a man should have, whether you're looking at Proverbs or first Timothy three or Titus one with elders, which elders really need to possess. They need to be an example of mature Christian characteristics. Right. And so what I tell these guys is like, I wouldn't follow you either. Right. Like, no one will follow you. You're bad at what you do. And, yeah. well, she should follow me anyway. Well, why don't you grease the wheel a little bit, dude? Why don't you make it easy? Make it easier anyhow. And the thing is, what you realize in life 
is that you cannot force anyone to do anything, right? Not without resor resorting to violence, and that doesn't change their heart. You know, yeah. like, so you, you, you could physically, I suppose, force a woman to obey you. Um, and, and there's a sort of like outer submission, but she won't love you. Mm -hmm. uh, she'll resent you. Uh, she won't ever be free with you. She will never be the uh, have the feminine presence she should because that's not how you treat things, creative things. Yeah. Whether they're animals or people, they you you move like I love the analogy of dance. I use dance all the time. I think when you watch couples dance, a man dances one way and a woman dances another. And when a guy's leading well, the woman shines, right? And often the woman's a little more um, uh, ornate, or I don't know what you'd say in her movements. It would be flamboyant yeah. for a man to be that way, but for a woman, it would be beautiful, right? And so yeah, I just yeah. tell those guys, like, work on work on yourself, you know, um, work on self-rule and work on um, growing and uh, people will follow you. You know, peacefulness uh, begets peace. You know, respectability begets respect. Not always perfectly, anything like that. The world's full of sin and trouble, but become the thing that you 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 want, you know, and it makes it easy. So, mm. you know, take response, control the controllables, take responsibility for yourself. You know, if you want me to tell your wife to repent, cool, I'll talk to her and tell her to repent. Right now I'm with you. I'm going to tell you to repent. Um, and mm. I, I hate when I, I say something bad about uh, men. Uh, the men say, what about women? And then I say something bad about women. They say, what about the men? What about you? What about yeah. you? Are, like, why do you always want to talk about someone else? Some, everyone else needs to take responsibility, uh, but you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you see a basic responsibility um, called to in scripture, self-control, right? Self-discipline, um, taking ownership for your sin. Um, and so I tell those guys that uh, this is going to lead to a bad relationship it's going to fail and it'd be better off for you just to uh work on controlling your own demeanor um cultivating peacefulness temperance uh dignity gravitas all these sort of things that you see in one way or another taught in scripture yeah this is kind of a tangent but uh some of what you said made me think of this uh people like you and me also and a lot of other people in our circles often get accused, especially online, or, uh, of uh, coming across as abrasive or unloving, unkind, you know, you name it, whatever. And so how do you personally draw that line for, uh, you know, how do I communicate with love, but also not, uh, not sacrifice truth? Well, sometimes I, I am abrasive and I shouldn't be, and I should repent. <laughs> like yeah. We can own that. Like what's interesting to me, like, Oh, so you've mastered communication. <laughs> like you've figured out how to speak the truth and love perfectly at all times. So there's two types of sins, right? Sins of commission and sins of omission. And a lot of people have sinned by not speaking out, not mm -hmm. warning a good friend, not speaking out to them by holding their tongue. So let's, let's admit there's two types of sins here. Of, of speech at least of mm -hmm. saying the right thing the wrong way or saying the wrong thing the wrong way um so there's that category the category of saying and then the category of not saying and i would say look we uh is this all about 
figuring out who says everything just the right way. I think you can always strike the right tone. We want to grow in that and correct. Yeah. And so I think we all will feel, I think in our modern society, and it may be true throughout most of, of, of history, our, I would think our, our sense of speech a lot of times are the ones of not warning people. Mm. with words the way we should i mean you see that in paul's constant exhortation to timothy and and titus and you this in scripture that pastors are to warn to rebuke in season and out of season to teach right and teach teaching always requires both uh positive like commands here's what you do here's what you believe and and negative here's what you don't do here's what you don't believe right and i think what i would tell people is that i don't have it all figured out and i'm happy to repent um, so if I say this in a different tone, you're going to agree with it because I will, I will yeah. a gentle hmm. answer turns away wrath, whatever. Let's get better at this. We don't hmm. want to use the softies and the frauds out there to excuse sinful tonality. People, hmm. I, I hear people say, well, tone shouldn't matter. Uh, if I start screaming at you all the time and, and you're going to get mad, man, yeah. like tone absolutely does matter. But truth matters too. And so are you just using tone as a way to deny truth? Hmm. That's what that is a lot of times. So you, okay, let's say if I had said it better, okay? You would agree with it though. Do you agree with the base <laughs> principle? And then a lot of times they'll say no. And then you'll right. say, okay. So it's not just about tone. Let's establish it's both about tone and the actual truth that's being spoken here. And yeah. so we want to grow in truth. We want to grow in love. We don't want to create a dichotomy where scripture doesn't create one. They work hand in hand. And love is not just making people feel affirmed. Mm. It's 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 doing the right thing uh, for the glory of God and the good of others. And that's what I would say. I don't I don't know how to draw a line. I'm not sure. You figure it out through time. You mm-hmm. learn how to speak in an appropriate way. You know, I speak to men one way, to women another, and um, I speak to mature men one way and young men another way. I, I I speak to children in one voice. You know, when you're a dad. You're talking to little kids. You're like, what's going on? No, boo, 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 boo. You know, all that stuff, right? I saw how I talked to my son. We have different voices for different situations. And that's because you learn how to do appropriate speech. Part of our problem is that we live in a a nut job egalitarian age that treats all people, age, sex, as if they're the same. And we don't distinguish. It's, 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 they first pitched everything about being about a diversity and and then they removed all distinctions and now to make distinctions i saw i said something about having a different voice online and someone says that sounds like manipulation to me it would to (laughs) someone that grew up in a time that thinks distinctions is manipulation and this is of course a guy that thinks he's a big masculine guy um but he's not (laughs) he's not he's not understanding that uh mature speech is like a well it's like a a tool belt right you have a little bit of everything on it you have a soft word you have a a, you have sharp word Mm -hmm. right you've got you deal with through metaphors similes uh uh sometimes you uh it's just very direct and plain you have to have all of it and so we're always like throwing the wheel hard from from one ditch to the next you know and that's not the way of a man or a godly woman for that matter yeah Speaking again of egalitarianism, uh, I, I we probably should have done this sooner, but just in case anybody listening doesn't know the difference between egalitarianism and complementarianism is egalitarianism is men and women have the same 
biblical roles, uh, those are the bad guys. And complementarians are the people who believe they have complementary roles. But you have said that you don't really like either classification, but you count yourself as something else. Yeah, they're, they're both really hard to spell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so and any any really long word with an ism, so there are long words to begin with. Then you put an ism at the end. It makes it even more obtuse, right? Yeah. Um, so um, the real distinction I would say between egalitarianism and complementarianism is that egalitarians make roles interchangeable between the sexes. And complementarians would say that's not true, but a lot of them didn't anchor it really heavily into nature. Yeah. And that gets them into some trouble. Early complementarians, you listen to early Piper, he sounds like a patriarchal guy. He does. You listen to a lot of those guys. And, uh, and some of them got softer. I don't know that Piper did on that issue, actually. I haven't listened to him in years, but I, I kind of think he didn't. I just think maybe he doesn't talk about it as much. But you go to uh, Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which is probably the, the main group that's used the word complementarianism, you find fantastic articles on there. But complementarians, uh, I stress nature, that God's design, that there's a masculine nature, there's a feminine nature. There's mm -hmm. a huge overlaps because th those are varieties of humanity, right? So we share a human nature, but uh, but there's a sexual sexual variation, male, female, and that's part of the design. And so I, I believe in, I, I'd say, we sometimes call it a gendered piety is a, a word we coined that I'm seeing used more, which is really cool. But um, that is just that the way we live our life for God is affected by our, sex, our sexuality, what we are. And, uh, but I'd say, I, I do say patriarchy because, but... In a sense, so Sibelianism, Sibel, uh, Sibelius, he emphasized the oneness of God to the point that he denied the individual persons of the Trinity, right? That was a heresy, but that doesn't make the oneness of God bad. Mm -hmm. and, and then, so you'll see a lot of, in a lot of false doctrines is something is like imbalanced and emphasized too much. So egalitarianism is right that men and women are equal in essence. So in that sense, I'm an egalitarian. Complementarianism is right that men and women complement each other. It's just not very many people like really question that. It's like, yeah. and there are such things as roles. Um, so those are like the various aspects that a, a particular sex will live out: mother, right, wife, father, yeah. husband, whatever. Um, and patriarchy is speaking a little bit more about the uh, the hierarchy, the nature of rule, the nature of, of of and flow of authority, and all those things are true. So really, I just believe in biblical sexuality, and I don't really care so much about labels because you know people will say, "Are you this label?" Well, what do you think that label means? Yeah, And then they'll say this, because sometimes like if you fight too hard against complementarianism with someone, you might actually be dealing with someone that shares the same biblical convictions and just you're fighting over a label. Right. Yeah. And uh, and someone says, oh, so you don't think men and women are equal? Of course I do. Well, then you're a feminist. That's not that's not what that usually means. OK. Um, yeah. And so I, 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 I think patriarchalism is fine. 
Um, but the thing is, there's a lot of people that's used that word that are not jobs that I want to be associated with. Sure. Right. They were little macho men that thought, thought dressing their, their, uh, wives and daughters up like little house in the prairie extras was the, um, the height of biblical masculinity or something like that. And guys that are, uh, are abusive, you know, some of the spiritual sounding board, you ever go to that website where it's like women talking about usually women talking about how they're abused or whatever. Yeah. Um, some of that really happens. That's, that's real. I know I've seen it. And we know guys like Doug Phillips, um, who did vision for him was doing all sorts of, uh, or towards the end of the ministry was grooming. And it seems like what's his name? Gothard was doing the same thing. Like actually was doing, doing those things. And you see some of that stuff in the one Duggar brother or whatever, there is actual abuse that happens underneath that. Uh, but uh, the Bible is hopelessly patriarchal. You know, Mary Daly, a famous feminist theologian said that, and she's not wrong. It is God, the father, not God, the mother, right? It's Jesus, the son, not Jesus, the daughter. Pharaoh doesn't want to kill the firstborn uh, daughter, firstborn sons. The heritage, mm -hmm. like though a lot of times Judaism is matrilineal, still uh, the promises are the promises of the fathers, of the patriarchs, right? I mean, the whole thing, uh, what is the spirit cries out, what? Abba, Father. Um, and uh, who's the rule in the church? The, um, the elders who are to be men. Uh, is it good when women rule? No, it's never good in scripture. It's because men aren't stepping up with Deborah or it's, or it's, or it's terrible. It's a judgment. So mm. there's no way to get around that. So uh, men, when men are doing their job, it creates uh, peace, protection, and order. Uh, when men are selfish or uh, abdicating in one way or another, it creates disorder. We live in a, a disordered time. Mm. I've heard you say that, uh, I think I've heard you say this, that something like where the household goes, then the church follows and where the church goes, then the nation follows that. Uh, so it seems to me like the, this needs to start in our families, faithful, uh, faithful headship, faithful masculinity, femininity, and then our churches need to reflect this. And then that will change everything else. And the way we need to do that, uh, at least I think, and you can give me your comments on this too, is that we need more faithful churches and more faithful men leading churches, which is probably why you're so active in church planting work recently. And so how do we, uh, what are like the, yeah, I know there's a lot to this, but what are like the basic um, things that you would want a man to know if he thought, you know, I can't find a faithful church in my area. Uh, what do I do? if they're qualified to maybe one day be a pastor or not? Well, there's less churches now per capita than there were in 1776. Uh, a lot of people seem to think that there's tons of churches. That's just not true. Mm. And we've actually had more churches closed the last several years than uh, started. So, uh, So there's a there's a need for more churches. There usually always is a need. And, and I think also Americans, uh, a lot of good evangelical churches though, prioritize mission work over, uh, local church planning. And I'll just say, yeah. if we don't have lo strong local churches, there's no money or missionaries to send across seas. So they don't yeah. have to be at odds. I don't think they are. Uh, but, 
what I would say is you guys act like they are because, or, or like church planting at home doesn't matter. And, it, and they do. Um, most church plants fail and they fail quickly within three years. Um, they're usually a disaster for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think they're a disaster uh, for the almost always started by unqualified men and men that are neither qualified nor gifted to do the work of, of pastoring guys that think if they just, they listen online or whatever to a bunch of sermons and, and, and that the work of pastoring is mostly uh, public speaking, which is not. Yeah. Uh, or if they just go to seminary and get a degree, then they're qualified. Yeah. And let me just say something to offend everybody. The reason so many people are against seminary is because you would fail and you can't do it. And that's why you didn't do it. I hear people call it cemetery, cemetery and all that. Like but the, knowing scripture is hard, right? Knowing the whole studying each book of the Bible. When I when in my ordination in the PCA, my uh, licensure exam took about two and a half hours. My uh, ordination exam, this is the oral exam before a committee of other elders took three hours brain was breaking down i had to be able to um i had to be able to outline every single book of the bible i had to be able to uh recall the entire shorter catechism by memory had to be super conversant with the larger catechism i had to be able to answer any question about theological controversies i had to show my uh my ability to understand church government especially as expressed in the book of church order the pca um i had to take a greek and hebrew exam and uh and when i my written exam took like four or five hours um and then i had to go stand in front of a bunch of i had to preach in front of a bunch of pastors some of them well-known preachers and then i had to stand before presbytery and answer questions from anyone on the floor um uh with like another hundred elders in front of you okay mm. like i had to do all that it was really hard and uh but you know what? I guess I know doctors and lawyers and all those guys get trained. Maybe it's not necessary. Maybe you can read uh, Mother Kirk by Doug Wilson and Seeing Through New Eyes with James Jordan and go plant a church. It's going to be fine. And I, I, I recently have heard the lightliness people take with church planning. These are souls. These are people. Yeah. And these are people. And do, it is so easy to screw up even when you are trained. And even when you know, it's the, part, of the, part of the problem with seminary um, the seminary should stick, I think, to the more theoretical aspects of the ministry, the more abstract mm. and, and, you know, just get two years, knock out two years of hermeneutics and, uh, your original language. And it's some of the more, um, academic intellectual side that does matter, uh, because in ministry, a lot of times that's like the, the, the part of the iceberg that's underwater and people don't see, but you've done the hard work. And so when you've done that hard work, you know, sometimes if I have to write a sermon in four hours, which I do many weeks, I, I've already, I'm not rediscovering this stuff. You know what I mean? Like I, I had to write papers and all this. And so you've got something to draw from, but leave that to seminaries and then have like some sort of practical, like how do you moderate a, a elders board? Mm -hmm. Like what's a good way to do it? How do you moderate? Um, uh, how do you train officers, elders and deacons? How do you deal with church conflict? You know, what do you do with uh, with a transgender kid what, like in, in your church? You know, how do you uh, deal with uh, sermons at uh, funerals when the it's like the second cousin of one of your members who's clearly not a believer, but they want you to do the funeral? Right. You know, how do you deal with the death of children? All this. Uh, how, how do you do hospital visits? How long do you stay? 
you know to get on the side that they're looking at? That way their, their body doesn't have to turn and look at you the other side. Do you know that you should only stay maybe 15 minutes unless they ask you to stay longer, right? Like where you have to learn this stuff and someone's got to teach you. And I think really a lot of people aren't prepared for church plants the way they should. And we just have a very low view of the church. Now, all that being said, um, that's me like to the guys that think that have kind of talked down to the, the work of a pastor. I, I, I most of them, I just want to say, you can't hang and you think you can, and you'll find out. And it's like, just believe me, you can't like get trained, get prepped. The best way to do it. If you can't go to seminary is to really intern yourself underneath a pastor somewhere that you respect, see how he disciples his family, see his time management, um, see how he balances that. Uh, eventually get to a place where you can sit in on elders meetings, uh, have write papers, let him criticize it, let, uh, let him criticize your character. I mean, so much part of being a pastor is being able to like keep a cool head when everyone's mad at you and where mm. everyone's like reacting. And so you become the right man. I think a lot of church plants, what happens is like, they, they like, I want to be a Doug Wilson church, right? I've been listening to flat laugh feast. Um, I really like covenant renewal worship and liturgy and all this stuff. And, uh, and so, and I got these other families that like are really into Christian education and paid a communion or theonomist, whatever boutique sort of Christianity is going on there. And they all gather and they, and they start this church and then they call a pastor and, and then some, some younger guy comes out there, takes it in whatever. And the church though um, is they already have a vision of what they want the church to be, which is, they wanted to Moscow, but Moscow took 50 years of Doug Wilson being some hippie guitarist to who he is now, right? Yeah. Or, well, not really hippie, but Jesus music. I mean, he was a True. naval guy and, and all that developed. So what I would say is like part of the problem is that we're trying to create franchises instead of plant churches that make disciples. Yeah. And, uh, and, and each context is different. Corinth is not Colossae. Colossae is not Corinth. Same gospel, same doctrine, but Paul, as he addresses the problems in Colossae, he's addressing different problems than he is in Corinth, right? He doesn't have to address the abuse of the spiritual gifts for whatever reason in Colossae, but in Corinth, he doesn't have to deal with whatever the weird uh, proto-Gnostic angel worship stuff going on in Colossae. Um, and so uh, this is a not a simple way of answering your question, but it's been on my mind a lot lately, so you're getting the, yeah. uh, the intense version. Um, That's good. What I, would, what I would tell guys is that really take preparation serious. I, I would join a church and try to reform it first. And, yeah. I, and, I, would, and, I, would, and I would encourage you to move and join a healthy church before planting one. Um, how can you create that which you don't understand? I mean, that's part of the problem is as men, if we didn't have good dads, we're like, so how many hours? I remember I used to play with my kids like four hours every night. Cause I didn't want to be a bad dad. I didn't know that's not normal. Right. Like that's yeah. like, that's crazy. I'm overcompensating. And <laughs> I had to like kind of balance that out. Well, how, how can you play in a church if you don't even understand one? Oh, well, my heart's in the right place. Do you think those people started out, all those people started out with evil intentions? You know, that, that's yeah. probably not what happened. And so I would say, but there are sometimes like you, you have no choice. And if you have no choice, uh, start gathering with a group of people, reading the Bible, um, seek uh, help from uh, a denomination uh, try to and try to bring in a pastor and let that pastor help you create the vision of the church 
work through all that stuff and, and take your time. But man, do not take church planning lightly. I think we're going to see uh, a bunch of the 2020 churches that were planted. Um, a lot of them fail. Like East River, we're only two years old. Right? Yeah. Jury's still out, man. Right. I mean, God's been good to us and we have a lot of elders and we've got a pretty large membership here. But, you know, like we had a I've, I've been trained. Uh, the, my other two elders have been trained. Uh, my my other uh, ruin elder is uh, in his 60s and been serving the church for a long time. We have a lot of good things. And uh, I just think. Take it slow. Why would you not get some sort of education? Why is why is the ministry not worthy of hard work? You know, and so I guess I didn't really answer your question. And I guess people are going to hear I probably should have church plant. And that's probably true. So thank you for listening to the Closed Minded Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I love church planting. I do, but we need help in the reform world. Right. right? They're failing left and right. And it's one thing to be part of a failed church plant. There's another one to be the one that it, the fault really rests on with it failing because of not taking it serious. And yeah. it's like, man, in a business, you lose money. That sucks when a business fails. But in a church, like the relationships lost and the damage done to children, to your own children, is very severe. And so we just need guys that will actually get trained and be sent some form of training, whatever. It doesn't have to be seminary, but uh, but we should not always knock seminary, especially since most of them couldn't pass it or get into one. Um so there's some thoughts there for you. Yeah, that's good. That's great stuff. Uh, a lot of people online usually ask me because I talk a lot about kind of what makes a, a good or a bad teacher, who good guys are to follow. And I think you are one of those really good, solid follows. And the way that people find other good teachers and other good people, I think, are to see who who the people that they know are solid uh, networks with who they like, who they interact with, who they work with. And so, um, to my listeners, that's, you know, Michael Foster's one to, to keep up with. And speaking of that, and speaking of church planning, you have a project coming up soon. Uh, do you want to talk any about that? About church planning or about my new podcast? Which one? Your new my podcast. New okay. Well, church planning, uh, side, side note, uh, I yeah. am looking at, uh, starting a church planning institute with some friends. It's just going to take a long time to get it right. But that is mm. something, you know, I don't want to knock it all and not offer some solution to the problem. So that's yeah. another, that's a future project, a future podcast. Uh, I am doing a personal podcast uh, called Practical Theology. And it really is, I'm really interested in understanding the theology behind all things. I think all practice is theological, all theology is practical. In other words, what we believe affects our behavior and how we behave is a reflection of what we actually believe, right? We have our mm. professed theology, what we say we believe, and we have our functional theology. If you're always full of worry and doubt, well, then you probably don't understand the fatherhood of God, right? Because if you understand that God is a good father, a sovereign uh, God that protects you then um, and provides for you, then you wouldn't be full of anxiety all the time, worry. And so I like looking at things like sleep, why, what's the value of sleep? Um, mm. And the scripture says a whole lot about sleep or habit formation, how we develop habits. 
a lot of it's kind of coming out of my own life uh, as a bivocational pastor. You know, I, I work a, a normal job during the week. And so I have to uh, really work hard at being productive and, and think through how I use my time and make my time uh, count a whole lot. So the podcast is it's, it's personal in that I just use a lot of stories from my own life. Um, it's just a little bit different than what I've done before. Uh, it's devotional. It's the, I'm trying to figure out how do I do all things to the glory of God? Like, what does that even mean? We say things like that. But uh, what does that look like in terms of my work life, my personal life, my, my habits, my, my relationship to my wife? Um, and, and then it's really focused heavily on application. Part, one of my critiques, I would say, of a lot of reform world, of the reform world is their disembodied brains that just love information, yeah. right? And they want more books. And it's like, look, uh, I love books too. And it's okay to buy books that you know you're not going to read for 20 years. I got a few of those. Um, I get that, but when you're trying to grow spiritually, you should be reading and applying something and not just reading and thinking about it. And yeah. there's a sort of a devotion to the abstract in the reform world, um, that you don't see in scripture. Scripture is a constant call to a sanctified life to grow more and more in holiness. So that's what I'm launching that it'll, um, be available. You can follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. Um, this is Foster is it my handle. Then I'm on uh, Facebook. You can find me there. I think I'm at my limits with people or whatever. Uh, but <laughs> if, you really, if you really want to follow me there, you, you can, but it'll be on Twitter and it's practical theology. I'm doing 12 episodes and then taking a break and we'll see if it's a one-off or not. Um, but just 20 minute episodes that I hope will help people. They're just reflections from my own life that that I've been um, really chewing on the last couple of years as yeah. as a father of seven and a husband and busy working guy like I, I need need my time to count and uh, so if you're looking for like funny banter that's not this podcast I'll, I'll keep it tight and hopefully it'll be helpful good and when do you expect the first episode to be released well depending on how today goes um I was hoping to have it out on Monday, which would be um, January 30th, I think, or whatever Monday is. Awesome. Um, so probably next week. If not, it'll certainly be the, the first week of February. And then there'll be an uh, episode every Monday uh, there on out. Awesome. Yeah, follow Michael Foster on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, read his book, It's Good to Be a Man, and uh, keep up with his new podcast releasing next week. Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I learned a lot and I hope the people tuning in learned a lot too about masculinity, church planting, uh, just how to be a, a faithful Christian practically. Uh, so thanks so much. And uh, I'll talk to you later. God bless. Thank you for the opportunity. God bless. God bless.